Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Chapter 4 of the Dubious Book of Famous Deeds. I'm Paul Bates. This is a podcast that sheds light on the dusty, neglected corners of history as told through the pages of the unreliable 1889 book from the British Empire, The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men and Famous Deeds. I should note, however, I am not a historian or a scholar, just a, a devastatingly out-of-work actor with time on his hands. So, as always, if you have uh, any uh, info to share, any comments, any corrections, or just good wishes, send them my way, famousdeeds at gmail.com. You might guess... Uh, seeing as how this is uh, from the 1800s, there's a lot of chapters about exploration and discovery because England at the time had this thing about controlling most of the world. And this is one of those chapters. It's about a daring expedition to find the Northeast Passage to China. The twist being, they completely fail. Nevertheless, for once, this is one time where it really is about the friends they made along the way. And my guest for this chapter is actor, comedian, and my beloved wife. Please welcome Christy Bruce. Hello, Paul Bates. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for asking me. I feel like my voice is just the voice uh, that a book called Famous Men and Famous Deeds needs. I know that no one is going to get angry about this book than you. Um, and I, tr I promise that we'll be back with you for more chapters where there's more patriarchy. But you know what? There's not a lot of patriarchy in this chapter. We're going to... Like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is... I mean, it's all about men. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Okay, well. Um, I thought maybe I might be covering a famous deed. You know, in a way you will be. You'll oh. be covering men and deeds. My interest is piqued. I'm very excited to find out what I'll be talking about today. Or what I'll be learning. Yeah, we'll be learning it together. Here we go. Okay. Some early adventurers. <laughs> Plural. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but just as a little tease. Okay? Yeah. This is about some early adventurers, but only one comes back alive. Oh, I have an idea. Are they going someplace cold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got it right. I'd love to solve a mystery. Okay, here we go. Some early adventurers. There was bustle and excitement on both sides of the Thames on the 10th of May, 1553. For on that day, three ships, commanded by some whose names figure honorably on the roll of England's naval worthies, dropped down the river from Ratcliffe to Greenwich, 
Whither were they bound? Instead <laughs> <laughs> incorporating that word. Uh, whither, whither were they bound? <laughs> whither to you going? It could be no ordinary departure that attracted so much attention, made the common people break out into cheers. There's nothing I love more than making the common people break out into cheers. Honestly, and it's so easy because their lives are so horrible. And drew the court to the windows of the palace to watch the passing vessels. Nor was it. The day indeed was a memorable one to many on board. They had, as old Hakloit tells us in his historical narratives, so Hakloit is, I looked it up, is um, an author, an English author from, uh, he's writing this at around 1580, around 25, 30 years after this happened. Well, everyone knows that the longer you wait between an experience and writing about it, the truer it will be. It's easier to write because there's less things to remember. Yeah. Okay. I try to do a voice for every quote. Here's my Hackloyd voice. Okay. They had, as old Hackloyd tells us, saluted their acquaintance, one his wife, another his children, another his kinsfolk, and another his friends, dearer than his kinsfolk. Wow. Bit piratey. Yeah. And now, being all appareled in Watch It. Do you know what Watch It is? Mm, something warm? Watch It is a light blue colored cloth. So if oh. you ever want to be fancy at a clothing store, just say, does it come in Watch It? I like this in Watch It. Yeah. Being all apparelled in Watch It or sky colored cloth, they rode amain and made away with diligence. And being come near to Greenwich, where the court then lay, the ships hereupon discharged their ordinance. <laughs> I'm sure the men did in their watch it at colored suits as well. And shot off their pieces. <laughs> so dirty. After a manner of war. Ooh. Such was a leave taking in the days of Edward the Sixth, when one half of the globe was a perfect mystery and marvel to the other, and people were ready to believe in giants, in men with eyes in their breast, and snakes what? with two heads, what? Sinbad's rock, or any other monstrosity. I mean, this just lays the platform for what the English and other countries did to the New Worlds if they were expecting these kind of fantastical beasts with two-headed snakes. Because I was like, did people believe in giants and men with eyes in their breasts? And the answer is yes. Evidently, people did believe a myth about giants living in South America thanks to accounts from Magellan's voyage there. Uh, and, uh, and then those rumors were further amplified by Sir Francis Drake. So it's like when today a tweet is inaccurate, but because it's scintillating, it gets amplified sure. and retweeted a million times. That's right. And then the Capitol building gets attacked. Uh, also, men with, with eyes in their breasts. Yes. Yes, please. Uh, when John Locke... And not the philosopher John Locke, but the ancestor of that philosopher wow. went to Guinea. He came back and he said that he found people without heads called blemines having their eyes and mouth in their breasts. Listen, this is what this tells me, is that these men got a lot of money from the king or the queen. They sailed. They found nothing. Or they went to like France, Spain, hung out on the beach, partied, drank... And then they're like, oh, shit, it's been a month, two months. We got we to gotta get back. Have we to, haven't gone anywhere. I have we, a report to write. <laughs> we got to write a report. Like, what can we say? Let's say we hit this island. This is what we saw. 
it's great. And if you make it slightly scary, then other people aren't going to want to go there. They're going to be like, ooh, I'm not going to go there. So who's going to qualify it? Right. You can't say it's like, we found gold. No, then no, They're going to be like, go back. Yeah. Um, are you curious at all about Edward VI? Do you want to know about him? Yeah, I'm trying to think. So that's 15... 1550 Edward uh, VI, now, is that, am I mistaken in thinking that's Henry VIII's only son that died at 15? Oh my God, Christy, you are absolutely right. <laughs> yes. Son of Henry VIII, crowned at the age of nine mm-hmm. and died of uh, at the age of 15, and people believe it was probably tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I could go on and on about Henry VIII and his children and what happened. Oh, really? This is a side note, so you can edit it out. No, no, um, that's, we're here to so learn. So they think, so because, like his whole thing was they say that the only reason that he killed his wives and divorced his wives was because he wanted a male heir. Um, but what was happening is that his wives would have one child and then they'd have stillborn after stillborn or like miscarriage after miscarriage. And so he kept blaming the women, typical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they think now that he had something called keel negative blood, uh, which basically means that... Uh, the first pregnancy usually okay, but then after that, the antibodies of the woman will start attacking the fetus. Anyway, yeah. back to back Edward to- the Sixth, the the child king. Now we talked about you know people were ready to believe in giants, Sinbad's rock, which was some sort of giant bird. Well, now this makes sense because the king is like ten. He's probably like hundred <laughs> percent. There's giants and men with eyes for nipples. Um, I have a proclamation. <laughs> Did you know that there are giants in South America? Mr. Francis Drake came back from quite a voyage and he told me the most marvelous thing. Oh, poor king. Just trying to appease the king. Uh, They thought it worthwhile, too, to institute a search from time to time for Prester John. Okay, don't know who Prester John is. Prester John, also known as John the Priest, was a legendary Christian patriarch and king believed to rule over a wealthy Christian nation somewhere in the mystical Orient. <laughs> and so people would go searching for his legendary golden city. They'd usually go to Ethiopia and search for it. No wonder that crowds ran to behold with their own eyes the daring seamen who were going into unknown regions. <laughs> Sounds like how our son was born. hey perhaps to see sights that would fill them with terror or admiration. The ships mentioned, of which the largest was not more than 160 tons, I have no idea how that Mm. scales out to a common ship, comprised the expedition commanded by Sir Hugh Willoughby, whose terrible fate Mm. throws a melancholy interest over the early history of Northern Discovery. He and his crew were the first victims of the Grim Frost King. Oh my God. Stricken down as though to warn future explorers from his icy dominions. Okay, well maybe this is why people were confused about what really existed and what didn't. Because if he's using a metaphor of a Frost King and people are reading this, they're going to be literal about that. Sir Hugh Willoughby. I teased it, and they make no secret about it. He dies. Yeah, no, that was some serious foreshadowing. The vessels were fitted out by certain grave citizens of London. These are the people who organized it, the grave citizens, who, fearing the decay of trade, resolved to attempt a passage to China, or Cathay, as it was then called. Cathay. C-A-T-H, uh, like Cathay Pacific. Oh, like Cathay Pacific Air. Oh, did yeah. you know that people used to call China Cathay? I did not. People uh, came to believe it was called Cathay after Marco Polo came back, you know, from there. 
medieval Europe came to know China as Cathay, it's derived from Kitte, the name of a semi-nomadic people who left southeastern Mongolia in the 10th century to conquer part of Manchuria and northern China, and they held that area for 200 years. The name was brought to Europe by either Muslim merchants or Franciscan friars, um, but it was Marco Polo who popularized the name along with the image of Cathay as a culturally and technologically superior civilization. So it's this mystical, amazing, better land. Mm. You know, like kind of like a humbling moment for England. Not too many uh, times that that England comes to believe there's somewhere better than them. Yeah. But... This is what I learned. But after the Mongol Empire collapsed, uh, Europe lost all contact with China. And this is why they were desperate to find a marine passage to China. Because they couldn't travel by land. Well, Marco Polo made it to China. But um, for some reason, like, not everybody took his, his route. And maybe it was a hard route to follow because only around 1600... Uh, did they? Did somebody prove that China could be reached by following Marco Polo's land route? Wow, they did not believe him. I guess not. Because he's the one guy that came back with actual, honest answers about what was there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, there's no giants? No. Yeah, no giants? I don't believe you. Yeah. No unicorns? No. <laughs> Sorry, you went to the Orient and there's nothing magical? What about no. Prester John? Did you find him along the way? <laughs> that guy. Marco Polo just spent a week in Portugal. That's all that guy did. 100%. They consulted the famous navigator, Sebastian Cabot, son of John Cabot, Mm. Cabot's trail, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who drew up a set of advices and instructions. Under such auspices, the ships were prepared and furnished out. This is Hacklet again. Prepared and furnished out. For the search and discovery of the northern part of the world. To open up way and passage to our men for travail. For travel. For travail to new and unknown kingdoms. There's so many extra letters in oh, words. Oh, I thought that you just with your accent, it said travel. And you're like, how do I, how does a pirate say travel? No, he actually spells it travail. Okay. To our men for travail to new and unknown kingdoms. The grave citizens had vitally enough to perpetuate themselves and still exist as the Muscovy Company. So the Muscovy Company is what we're talking about today. There's a long lead up. Wow, okay. So these early adventurers are the people who eventually formed the Muscovy Company. The Muscovy Company. Do you know what that is? It's a company of men dressed in sky blue outfits. So far, so so correct. Traversing the northern eastern passage trying to get to China. Exactly. You know, England used to have a full monopoly on the wool trade. They would make their fortunes selling woolen cloth around Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but around 1500, uh, other countries were like, we have sheep, we can make our own wool. And so uh, the trade dried up and merchants needed to find new trading routes. And they were like, we've got to get back to China. They hoped that they would be able to find a way across the top of the world to get down to China. So traveling northeast over Sweden, the fjords. Um, <clears throat> they also wanted to get to the Spice Islands in Indonesia. So they formed... Wow. They formed the Company of Merchant Adventurers to New Lands. It's a joint stock company. This predates corporations, but what would happen was they would get investors who would pay 
25 pounds each. They got 6,000 of those people to finance the, the, the project. They put three ships together. They hired uh, captains and crews for each, and they eventually became the Muscovy Company. Why? We'll find out soon. Here we go. Incidentally, they didn't leave until June. It was the 10th of May they set sail oh. off, uh, you know, on the Thames, but because they had rotted food and um, it was bad weather, they had to wait till June. So they sat on their boats for like six weeks. This is uh, already just bad planning. You know, you, you would think, okay, let's leave like in the spring. It feels like even in 1550, you should know better. Yeah. During the warm months that followed their departure, the adventurers made good progress. Sir Hugh Willoughby got so far to the north that he struck the western coast of Nova Zembla. That's a uh, Russian archipelago, and oh. it's the northernmost point of Europe, and sailed along it for some distance. To him, indeed, belongs the honor of the discovery of that desolate land, for he was the first Englishman, if not the first of any civilized nation, to visit its shores. I love that they don't know if he's actually, like, the first person to get there. Sure. But they still call him the discoverer because he's the first Englishman. Because the first, yeah, white dude, for sure. Yeah. A gale, which broke out shortly afterwards, separated the ships. In September, Sir Hugh, with two out of the three, talking about ships, two ships out of the three, took refuge in the mouth of the Varsina. It's a Russian river on the coast of Lapland, which is a part of Norway. It's like right. the northernmost part of Norway, where he and his crews, 70 persons in all, perished what? from cold and hunger before the winter was over. Remembering the names of his vessels, Bona Esperanza and Bona Confidencia, there seems a cruel mockery in his fate. Why, what can you translate? what the name of those ships are then? I assume it's like Busperanza would be Hope and Confidentia would be Secrets. Uh, so I don't know what they're, I don't know Confidence? what they're talking about there. Okay. But you ever watch one of those movies where you think you're following the hero and then all of a sudden the hero dies in like the first yeah. or second act? Yeah. Willoughby's dead. It's this classic Game of Thrones twist. That's true. More about Willoughby. He got thrown off by a storm became disoriented due to poor maps, a bad compass, overcast skies, couldn't see the stars. Okay, yeah. He and his crew were found dead in their ships eventually. And this book says they died of cold and hunger. But in truth, what the common belief now is that they all died of carbon monoxide poisoning. What? They tried to insulate their ship and block off their stove chimney to fight the colds, and they died in their sleep from carbon monoxide poisoning, oh. which, as you know, is my nightmare. Is it? I didn't know that was your nightmare. Yes. I know you're worried about it, but That's, you're worried about a lot of things. Yeah, well, it's like my number one fear because it's the silent, it's ki the silent killer. killer. You can't see it, hear it. With fire, at least you can see, hear, touch, and smell it. <laughs> okay, but... Let's say you had to choose between dying from fire or dying from carbon monoxide. What do you choose? That's a good question. That's I, a good question. Why? One is dying peacefully in your sleep and the other is an agonizing pain until your brain basically explodes from the intense nerve sensations flooding it. Okay. Two ships down, one ship left. Okay. And here's our new hero. Oh my God. The third ship, the Edward Bonaventura commanded by Richard Chancellor, had better fortune. After the gale, he sailed to Vortos, 
or Vordo, in Norway, the appointed rendezvous, and waited seven days when, his consorts not arriving, he determined to prosecute the voyage alone. His project was, however, opposed by certain Scottishmen. <laughs> that's your Scottish accent. No, 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 that's, that's Hackloyd again. Oh. Uh, whom he fell in with and who used every argument they could think of to dissuade him. Only think of Scotchmen being found in that remote place at such an early period. How did they get there? Oh, is this why you chose me for this one? Because it's it's anti-Scottish? <laughs> no, but it is. I do like the Scottish shade. It's just like that they can't imagine that Scottish people may have traveled somewhere as well. I mean, could you imagine them getting out of their mud huts mm-hmm. and like getting out of their skirts? And their stupid... Their fur pelts. Oh, their fur pelts and their clans. Yeah. Their cannibalistic clans. That's right. Putting down the the leg of their aunt for just one <laughs> second to get up from the dinner they table. They didn't eat from their own clan. They ate from warring clans. Oh, yes. There can only be one. <laughs> and the rest are food. Yeah, apparently Scottish people did live in that part of Norway, as evidenced by the Vardo witch trials of 1621, which they say was kind of because of uh, Scottish influence. Wait, so the Scottish people were like, burn these women? Or the Norwegians were saying, burn these Scottish people? No, no, no. The Scottish people had moved in and kind of influenced culture with their beliefs. And there was a huge storm in Vardo. We're going on a huge tangent. There was a huge storm um, that killed a lot of people in the village of Vardo. And the next year, men were still angry about it and blamed, (laughs) blamed the women, blamed the witches. And a lot of witches... A lot of women confessed to being witches because they were being tortured. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, I've got so much stuff to say, but I'm just going to keep it mm-hmm. inside and mm-hmm. let it burn in the hole that continually grows larger and larger whenever I hear these stories. It's tough because, you know, you want to support Scottish people, but then you find out that they're burning witches. <sighs> yeah, so I'm torn. Do I? No, no, I, yeah, no, you can't support. I mean, I support Scottish, the Scottish history, but I do not support white men's. Uh, doings in the past. That's fair. So I support Scottish women. Oh, okay. You're right. All witches, though. All of us. Well, there you go. You just admitted it. I wish I was a witch. I wish you were a witch. Unfortunately, not all wishes can come true. And Christy Bruce is still not a witch. You never know, though. You never know what might happen. I don't know how... I don't know if you can get you know, bitten by another witch and become a witch. I don't know if that happens like that. Are you born with it? That's a topic for another podcast, a completely different podcast. We're not, this is not about that. We don't discuss the supernatural yet. I don't know. I haven't looked through the whole book. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. What's going to happen? Are they going to live? No. Are they going to make it to China? No. But... Are they going to discover a completely different land? Yes. We'll be back after this awkward pause. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back. Okay. 
I made a mistake earlier in this uh, podcast. I said that Europe had lost contact with China because they had lost the way. They didn't know Marco Polo's Silk Road to China. This was, it's way off base. The truth is that as the Mongol Empire collapsed, the Ottoman Empire took control of the region and forbade uh, Christian Europeans from traveling through Western Asia. So there, you're caught up. And also, there was never one Silk Road to China. There were many roads, many routes to China that a bunch of people took. So that's my correction, my midpoint correction. You can stop writing your emails. I'm sorry for the distress I caused you. Okay, we're going to get back into it. I believe uh, Richard Chancellor has uh, made it as far as uh, Norway, and he's going to carry on uh, in the face of danger, death, because, you know, an Englishman doesn't quit. Okay, let's go back to some early adventurers with Christy Bruce. Chancellor was not to be dissuaded. A man of valor, he said, could not commit a more dishonorable part than for fear of danger to avoid and shun great attempts. He must instead remain steadfast and immutable in his first resolution, determining either to bring that to pass which was intended, or to die the death. I was thinking about this yesterday. Like, people always say, uh... You know, oh, should I do this? Does it scare me? If it scares I me, do- I should do it. Yeah. Right? You got to yeah. face your fear in 2021 and do the things that scare you this year. But, and this that's what this guy is saying. I got to do the things that scare me. But obviously the thing that no. Richard Chancellor is choosing to do is clearly terrifying. It's like, you're probably going to die. Yeah, because that's what life used to be like. Like surviving the year was adventure enough. Like mm-hmm. figuring out where food was going to come from. How are you going to stay warm? These were all things that kind of kept you occupied. This is why people weren't necessarily depressed back then because their brains were too occupied. Now we sit down and we're like, ooh, skydiving is scary, so I should go do that. Like we're, Our brains are not doing what they're meant to be doing. There's too much, especially now, there's too much downtime. So if today things were like life was just as hard, you don't think people would be saying, do what scares you? No, they'd be like, stay safe. Mm-hmm. Do you have berries? Then go home, eat the berries slowly, over the course of the winter, and fingers crossed we'll see you in yeah. March. Watch out for the cats. Watch out for the cats, yeah. right? Well, this is my theory. I know that I've told you this before, but my theory of like how to eradicate um, a lot of depression is to release wild tigers uh, in cities. Um, you can't kill the tiger, you can't injure the tiger, but the tiger can kill and injure you. Mm-hmm. So that it, it puts that uh, kind of sense of like, uh, you never know when you're going to die. So you got to like, you know, you get back to that survival mode kind of thing. And then you're like having coffee with a friend feeling like, oh, you know, I don't I haven't worked in like a couple months and, you know, so-and-so is getting all the work. And then Tiger shows up all of a sudden. Doesn't matter. What would you rather have? The coronavirus that we have today or a one to 100 tiger to man <laughs> ratio in the city of Toronto all the time? I feel like I think I'd like the one to 100 tiger ratio. Okay. Also because I'm a witch, so I could talk to them. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, you are so getting executed tonight. Um, Ooh. <laughs> 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 Playing that game. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, 
Chancellor's courage was shared by his crew, and so they put to sea. Now, says the old chronicler, they held on their course towards that unknown part of the world and sailed so far that they came at last to the place where they found no night at all, but a continual light and brightness of the sun's shining clearly upon the huge and mighty sea. And having the benefit of this perpetual light, it pleased God to bring them to a certain great bay, whither into, where into, excuse me. <laughs> I, I'm so excited about <laughs> the word so... wither. I love the word wither. Okay, where into they entered, and somewhat far within cast anchor, and looking every way about them, it happened that they espied afar a certain fisher boat which Master Chancellor, accompanied with a few of his men, went towards to commune with the fishermen that were in it. But they, being amazed with the strange and greatness of his ship, began presently to avoid and to flee. But, <laughs> but he, still following, at last overtook them. So he chased him. Yep. It chased him. This is a classic male behavior. And being come to them, they, being in great fear prostrated themselves before him, offering to kiss his feet. Oh, my God. <laughs> but he, according to his great and singular courtesy, looked pleasantly upon them, comforting them by signs and gestures, refusing those duties and reverences of theirs, and taking them up in all love and sart from the ground. The Great Bay, to which Chancellor smiled, is now known as the White Sea. Here... Our countrymen soon learned that they were in Russia, or Moscovy, of which land Ivan Vasilovich was emperor, or as we now say, czar. Which Ivan is this? Is this Ivan the Terrible? Correct. Oh, killed his own son. Yes, he did. This is why I picked you, because I know that you're a bit of a Russophile. I, is that the word for it? My word for it. I love it. Yeah, because you know, you're the Catherine the Great, and oh, yeah. you've always wanted to visit Moscow. Yeah, yeah. The, the Romanov story, fascinating. Mm -hmm. So Ivan the Terrible was ruler of Russia at this time. He was about 22 or 23 at the time. Born August 25th, 1530, lived 54 years. He became the Grand Prince of Moscow when he was three years old. His mother ruled in his name until yeah. she was poisoned when he was five. Classic. Eventually, he became the first Tsar of Russia in 1547 when he was 16 or 17, and that's when he dropped the hammer and started oh, executing yes. people who would oppose him and some people who didn't oppose him, but he was just kind of paranoid that they might oppose him, which oh, is yeah. familiar behavior from Russian leaders now, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. The ship was anchored in the western mouth of the Dvina, another Russian river, and the governor of the place sent plentiful supplies of provisions on board, generous, and showed much goodwill to the strangers, but refused to trade with them until he knew the pleasure of his sovereign, because, as we said, you fuck with Ivan. You get fucked. You get fucked. The news of their arrival, we are told, was very welcome to Ivan, insomuch that voluntarily he invited them to come to his cart. Court. Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And gave full liberty to his subjects to trade with the foreigners. A favorable reception awaited them. And after 10 or 12 days spent in rest and in viewing the city, they had an audience of the emperor. Another version of those 12 days I read was that they spent 
12 days under surveillance. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. Suspicious. Interesting thing I learned about Ivan the Terrible. He created the first security state. So like, you know how they have the KGB yeah, and yeah. whatever. Um, he created something called the Oprichnina, which was a personal guard that he like, he, he pulled from different cities across Russia. Uh, and he had like a personal army of several thousand people. And they were the army that would go out and conduct his reign of terror and, you know, eliminate people who spoke out against him or people he just thought were his enemies because he was a, a mentally ill person. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He had, was consumed by paranoia. Yeah. <laughs> and now we've switched to Chancellor's account. Okay. So here's, Ch I got to do Chancellor's voice again. Being come to the Chamber of Presence, <laughs> <laughs> says the narrator of the interview, our men began to wonder at the majesty of the emperor. His seat was aloft on a very royal throne, having on his head a diadem or crown of gold apparelled with a robe of all goldsmith's work, and in his hand he held a scepter garnished and beset with precious stones. And besides all other notes and appearances of honor, there was a majesty in his countenance proportionable with the excellency of his estate. I love it. I love it that like Ivan is like hanging out in his room with his like servants. And then they're like, okay, the English are here. And he's like, I need to get my best outfit. They're like, oh, the emerald. No, pull out the gold. I want the gold gown. I want the gold crown. I want the bejeweled scepter. I want it all. I went and looked up uh, Richard Chancellor's uh, full account of this dinner. And my favorite part is that Ivan changed crowns three times during dinner. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Because that's what you do. I went to a wedding where the bride, you were there too. I think she had three wedding dresses. She had the one that she got married in. Then she had one for the dinner. And then she had one for the dance. Like that's owning it. That's mm -hmm. like showing the people what you got. And he's like early 20s right oh, now. Oh, he's in his prime. And Richard Chancellor is in his early 30s. These guys must, loved each other. I bet you they did. They, he was, they probably had the oh, best man. time. He's like, would you like to come back and to see my other crowns? The great officers of state stood round about. They and the whole apartment glittering with golden jewels. Everyone's just like, oh, this guy's so rich. Peacocking. But Chancellor... Being therewithal nothing dismayed, saluted and presented the letters from King Edward. Edward was dead by now. These were read, and then, after some brief conversation, the Englishmen were invited to dine with his majesty. Who were they read by? Uh, by Ivan, I guess. Yeah, but how does Ivan know? Does Ivan know English? That's a great question. They're meant to be in China. So if any language these letters should have been written in, <laughs> like... <laughs> Oh my God, you're right. I mean, I don't uh, mean to find loop. This is the other thing I do when we watch TV shows is I try to, I find the loopholes and it frustrates me because I'm like, this isn't, what's happening here? I know, I, you're right. I, but I, maybe they figured it out. I don't know. I am ignorant in the 1500s uh, language abilities of Ivan the Terrible. Well, maybe have, he did speak English. I have no idea. I have no answers for that. I don't know. You're right. That's a huge plot hole in, in the history of the world here. <laughs> Um, the Englishmen were invited to dine with his majesty, which they did two hours later in the golden court and saw such prodigious numbers of 
gold and silver goblets, casks, dishes, and other vessels, so many vessels, and such a multitude of attendants as filled them with amazement, and doubtless made them well content at being the first to open a trade with so rich a country. You always want to look like oh, rich man. and powerful when 100%. you're starting a deal with somebody. Makes me wonder, they weren't spending those 12 days surveying, they were spending 12 days prepping the party. Mm -hmm. Like, bringing in the food from the countryside, getting the gold room polished. The Russians, I'll give this to the Russians, they know how to make a good room. Like they know how to, like they have the amber room, oh, yeah. this gold room, like they know how to deck out four walls. The result of the interview was that Ivan sent his visitors away with a letter declaring that he had in all amity ordered that wherever Sir Hugh Willoughby and the missing crews might be found, every attention should be paid to them. That if an envoy were sent to treat on the matter, English ships and vessels should have free mart with all free liberties through my whole dominions. <laughs> with, all, with all kinds of wares to come and go at their pleasure without any let damage or impediment. How is that? I mean, I think this podcast could be called Mastering Accents. With this missive, which bore the great seal... Chancellor returned to England and thus commenced the British trade with Russia. The grave citizens were not slow to follow up their advantage, and while ships were sent out for the exchange of commodities, others were especially employed in further discoveries of the same region, for above all, they hoped to find that passage to China. Oh, man. But again, wouldn't happen until the 1800s. To the English and the Dutch, the Russians are more indebted for these early discoveries than to themselves. For a century or two, the White Sea was the only way by which they could communicate with the rest of the world by water. Christy Bruce, that is the end wow. of the chapter. I loved it. I loved it. I had no idea about this. I love the twists and turns. I love the death of the main character at the end of the first section. I'm going to hit you with uh, one final epilogue to this that's not in the book. The most interesting stuff is never in the never book. Never in the book. You know, these guys like try to end their chapters on an uplifting note, but there's, always, there's always a downside. It's about Richard Chancellor, the hero who, oh. who pressed on okay. and said, we have to carry on or die the death. Chancellor went home eventually in 1554. So he was going back and forth all this time, or he just hung out, he just lived in Russia? Hung out, partied with Ivan. 100%. Had the best time of his they life, probably. Yeah, just hanging out in the court of Ivan. Went home in 1554, got robbed by Flemish pirates on the way, which <laughs> I love. <laughs> the Muscovy Company was officially incorporated. Sebastian Cabot, named governor for life. Smart choice to not get on a boat, Sebastian Cabot. In 15 Wait, so he got governor for life because he wrote, he gave them a map? But he gave them a map that two of the three boats died because of. Yep. Seems like a bit of an unnecessary thing to give that guy. But Let me just say that if you were a man born into a family of privilege, yeah. it was easy to become a governor for life of anything. Anything. Doesn't matter. Just like also they didn't even get to China. So the map that he drew, like maybe in his map, he's like, take the first right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's like, even the map was wrong. So did he die? Did the did the hero uh, our new hero? Did the Flemish kill him, or did they just steal his? No, nope, he the, made it back. 
made stuff it back, that Ivan, his best friend, gave him. Made it back, set up the company, set up the agreements, trade routes. Then 1555 rolls around. Chancellor's ready to sail back to the White Sea. You know, get some uh, vacation time in. You know, working, go visit his friends. Working vacation. Got to uh-huh. see his buds. Yeah. Um, again, in the same ship, the Edward Bonaventura. Made it once. Yep. And he took along another ship, the Philip and Mary, to set up warehouses and factories, set up the whole trade agreement. Um, also, by then, Russia had found Willoughby's lost ships. So the ships were in fine shape because everybody died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Sure. Uh, air them out a little. Air them out. He crewed them. Everybody sailed back in 1556. So he spent another, you know, half a year to a year in Russia and voyaged home again in the spring of 1556 with both ships, the Philip and Mary, his own ship, the Edward Bonaventura. Uh, he brought along with him uh, a new Russian ambassador. Ooh. But they ran into terrible nope. storms. The Philip and Mary managed to anchor in Trondheim, Norway, and eventually made it home in 1557. The Bona Confidentia, which was one of the ships that were lost, uh, split on a rock and perished with all hands. Okay. The Bona Esperanza was never seen or heard of again, which left Chancellor's ship. And on the 10th of November, 1556, the Bona Aventura shipwrecked off Pitsligo, Scotland, Chatchler, some crew, the Russian ambassador and his wife took to the boat, but it got swamped. (sighs) Only the Russian ambassador and maybe a handful of dudes survived, but Chancellor lost his life on the trip Uh, back home. Live on the sea, die on the sea. Also, how horrible to be one of the sailors, okay, going on this voyage and they're like, okay, you're going to go in this boat that a bunch of guys died in. Mm-hmm. Like that boat is cursed. Mm-hmm. Like you should, if that happens, you sink that boat. You don't put people back on that boat. But even then, there must be somebody back home that says, you can't let a good boat go to waste. 100%. It's the money people. Capitalism. Strong. From the very beginning. Don't you think, I mean, doesn't this give you the impression that marine travel is a 50-50 survival proposition at best? At best. Like, would, oh yeah. I wouldn't get on a boat. I'd be like, there's a, like, there's... Okay, if you had to take off, like, for whatever reason and sure. by whatever mode of travel. Like, I've like, killed you, uh, and now I've got to get no, out of the country. That's a whole other, okay. let's save my murder fantasies for, or your murder fantasies for, for later. For tonight. For tonight. <laughs> um, uh, if you had to do an errand. Sure. And you knew that no, no matter what mode of travel, there was a 50-50 chance of you making it back. What would it take to get you out on an errand? What would that errand have to be? I mean, I guess food. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Like. Medicine, maybe? Sure, yeah, medicine. Um, being in lockdown for nine months. Why, what would you, what, for you, what would it, what would it take? I was going to say wings. <laughs> Any meat products. <laughs> for the love of God. There's no, there's no meat in our house. No, it's fascinating. It is It is interesting. I mean, I don't know, like, I think to become a sailor, it's it's the same as going to war. I think that they have that that same mentality of, like, I want I will risk my life for this because it's feeding, I get off on the excitement of it, right? There's a certain personality that has that ability. Or you're so poor that this is your only option. It's just like, ooh, starvation or 50-50 chance on the seas. Yeah. 
take 50-50 chances on the sea. I guess that's why we call them adventurers, some early adventurers. And like thus the title of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Full circle, baby. Full circle. Well done, Paul Baines. Um, well, hon, thanks. Thank you for having me. It's a great story. I was very excited to learn all about those men whose names I have already forgotten. Willoughby? Willoughby. Chancellor? And Chancellor. the third man who didn't even get names. Who was the third great man? Well, there were three ships, so there was a third captain. Oh, so there was a third captain. <sighs> Not important. Not important. No. Third billing. Third billing. Yeah. Oh, understudy ouch. of the understudy. I've been there. It sucks. Oh, man. Yeah. That's where my life is. Well... Uh, see you tonight. <laughs> I'll have my hood on. Ooh, and I'll bring my wand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man. You can send your Paul Bates and Christy Bruce fan fiction to famousdeeds at gmail.com. I can't wait to read it to my wife. Uh, Christy Bruce is an actor. If you want to see something that Christy and I acted in together, check out the short film A Simple Fucking Gesture, directed by Jesse Shimada and available on CBC Gem. She's also on Instagram at Christy the Bruce. Next episode, it would be another 300 years or more before someone successfully navigated the Northeast Passage. Who was it? How weird is his family? And how long is his name? Answers to those questions and more as we learn about the discoverer of the North East Passage. The Dubious Book of Famous Deeds is produced and recorded in Toronto. It's part of the Sonar Network. Go to thesonarnetwork.com and check out the many funny and thoughtful podcasts offered there. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave me a review. It goes a long way towards helping this show find its audience. You can subscribe as well so that you never miss an episode. Follow the podcast online at Famous Deeds on Twitter and at Famous.Deeds on Instagram. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BatesBot9000. If you want to get in touch, whether to ask questions, correct my work, lodge a complaint, or just say hi, I want to hear from you shoot an email to famousdeeds at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the work I put into researching and producing this podcast, why not buy me a coffee? You can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash famous.deeds. It's an easy way to support creators all over the internet. Until next time, I'm Paul Bates. Thanks for listening. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.